Well, good morning. Uh, we're picking up today in our series that we've been studying called The Present One. Uh, and this demonstrates, this series that we've been studying called The Present One, demonstrates God's presence among his people as displayed in the four Gospels. We're learning that Jesus was the most present person that ever existed. Uh, and his presence mattered. So we've been looking at this, um, paying close attention to the way that Jesus' presence demonstrates that God is with his people in the midst of great persecution, in the midst of sickness and infirmity, in the midst of doubt and despair. And today, we are going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. This passage is entitled, The Road to Emmaus. It's always been one of those passages that has been very dear to me, has been very near to me. The best way I can describe that is it's almost as if the first time I remember reading this 20 years ago, that God took a highlighter and he just highlighted a portion of this scripture and it just stood out to me. Well, this is one of those passages for me. Family, the good news for us today is that Jesus himself meets us on the road. His meeting with us is marked by a heart that burns within us, a desire to remain and linger in his presence and to hear what he has to say, and a joy that fills us for the road ahead. Let's go to Luke chapter 24 and read about the account of Jesus joining two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem? and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was, a, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. In, indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things have happened. But also some of the women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. As they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with him, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. So I mentioned earlier how this passage was near to me, and it was as if the first time I read it that God highlighted the scripture and said, take a look at this. And the portion that he highlighted to me was this verse right here, verse 32. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? See, for me, at that time, when I read that, that, that encounter that these two disciples had on the road to Emmaus perfectly summed up the encounter that I had had with God by His Spirit in those who discipled me. I encountered a God that, in, that met me right where I was and Himself spoke to the things within my heart in a way that only he could know. See, because at the time, the people that were in the Spirit of God ministering to me, they didn't know the extent and the effect that the Holy Spirit had upon me in the words that they spoke. I know this because I... Many times I would just sit there and listen and silently receive what they're saying without any outward amen or, you know, affirmation of my head. But inside, my heart was burning within me because I knew that it was the Spirit of God that was speaking to me through them. Friends, the good news for us today is that Jesus himself, the risen Lord, meets us where we are at today. Meeting Jesus is marked not by an emotional experience or a tale to tell someday, but by an encounter with the risen God where our heart burns within us. There's a desire within us to remain in his presence, in his company, to linger in his words to to continue with him 
and it's marked by a joy that fills us for the road ahead. So I'm going to try to condense that a little bit more. Walking on the road with Jesus is marked by a heart that burns within us, a desire to remain in his presence, and a joy that fills us for the road ahead. Friends, Jesus is the same today as he was on this road with his disciples on the way to Emmaus. He meets us in the middle of discouragement. He meets us in the middle of our fears. He meets us in the middle of our doubts. He meets us in the middle of our sadness. He meets us on dark roads where only he knows and we know what is going on in our lives and in our hearts. But he meets us nonetheless. And he speaks words of life, uh, words that are spirit and they are life. Today, I hope you see with me that God is very present in our lives. He's present all the time and he's present to join with us wherever we are but he promises not to leave us where we are he promises to walk with us and to reveal himself in the midst of walking with us and that revelation of jesus will change us a couple of things that i observed in this text that i want to share with you First, uh, the disciples are on their way back from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're walking on the road, and they're in a place of discouragement. They're in a place of despair. They're in a place of sadness. They had hopes for the way that God was going to move. They had a picture and a vision for what God was going to do based upon who he was. Unfortunately, their picture and their vision didn't match the reality of the reason that Jesus came. Now, one of the things that we notice is that Jesus, when he meets with them, he is really patient. We see this because he asks them questions and his questions kind of cause us to ask questions like, why does Jesus, why does he say, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. So he enters into their conversation and he wants to know what it is they're talking about and why it's troubling them. We have no reason to believe that Jesus didn't know what they were talking about. So why did he say that? And why does scripture point that out to us? Well, let's continue to read. Later on in that next verse, he says a very short phrase, two words. He says, what things? The phrase before, the best way I can describe what they're saying to him in the midst of the time they're in um, it would be as if you're walking along the sidewalk, maybe with your family, and you're talking about this pandemic that we're experiencing, and maybe you're talking about 
some of the briefings that have happened on TV, some of the statements from the school, um, things in the future, you know, the suddenness of how this came upon in a matter of months and our lives have shifted. Maybe you're just talking about those things. And someone else walking along the sidewalk enters in at a safe distance. Otherwise, we'd be like, get away, joins your conversation and is like not wearing a face mask and, and says, hey, what are you talking about? You know, uncomfortably close maybe. We would be like, what planet have you been living on? You know, what rock did you crawl out from under? Where, where have you been? Maybe we wouldn't say that because we would just assume that person is crazy or just not altogether with it. Case of an amnesia, who knows? But this is almost how the disciples treat Jesus. Now, they don't do it with disrespect or disdain from what we gather in Scripture. But they do ask him a question that, at the very least, it sounds like there's some sarcasm in it. So I'll read it to you. Uh, they say, one of them named Cleopas, verse 18, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting in Jerusalem? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened in these days? Are you the only one that doesn't know what's going on? Well, let me fill you in. And then he begins to tell him. Jesus' question, what are these things that trouble you? What are these things you're discussing? And then his further question saying, what things? We have to see that as Jesus in perfect patience meeting those disciples exactly where they are. At the time that he listens and meets them, we also want to notice that he does rebuke them, in a sense, for their foolishness, for their slow of heart to believe of these things that the Christ must have suffered. But he doesn't do that to shame them and he doesn't do that to just point out that they don't get it. He's patiently walking with them but the words that he speaks are words that are meant to make a decisive cut towards the things that are keeping them from the life he intended for them to live after he rose from the dead. He's preparing them for the gift that is to come by first listening to their doubts, being present with them in the middle of it, and then speaking to those things with the authority of the Son of God, of God himself on the matter, the one who has suffered and who has been the source and the center of all these things that have happened in Jerusalem. It was him that was crucified. And he comes and he asks them, what things? Here's what I want you to see, and here's what I see. God cares about the things in your heart that may seem trivial to you. He cares about the things in your heart that you believe are obstacles towards encountering the risen Jesus in the middle of your life. The things that you think are keeping you from a closer walk with him, he cares about, whatever that is. And he cares about it enough to meet you in the middle of it 
and to speak into it words that will take you from where you are to where he is and where he's walking with you to. Friends, that's good news. The next thing I want to pay attention to is that the conversation shifts. The conversation shifts from the things that they were discussing to walking with Jesus and listening to him as he opens up the scriptures to them, to listening and lingering in the presence of Jesus. This exchange and this transition that happens on the road prepares them for the place where they get to their doorstep and they have a choice. And here's what I would like to draw from this. It's no accident that the disciples are walking on the road, that Jesus joins them, and they get to the place along the road with a stranger where they reach their door and night is drawing near. At that point, because of the conversation on the road and because of the burning heart within them that they both experienced but didn't get to verbalize, they want to remain in the presence of this one who has brought an entirely different perspective than the one they currently had. Friends, I want to tell you today that Jesus has an entirely different perspective upon the things and the road, uh, the things that we encounter on this road that we're on. Jesus has an entirely different perspective and his perspective is meant to shift ours and not the other way around. The disciples in this, we want to notice in scripture that they pause. Jesus, he was pretending like he was going to go further. Now, why, why is Jesus playing coy here? Why does he ask him about these things that have happened? Why they're looking sad? What things? And then he pretends like he's going to go further. Why do that? He wasn't really going to go further. Because if it was his true intention to go further, and that was God's will, he wouldn't have gone in the house with them. Now, I may be drawing, reading too much into scripture. Um, that may be true. But I want to see there is a point to the reason that Jesus is interacting the way he is with the disciples. And I think we are meant to learn something from this. The first thing that I want to submit to you that we should learn is that the disciples were practicing hospitality and they invited this stranger into their house. What we are to be hospitable to is the presence of God as we travel, as we are here at home. We want our hearts to be hospitable to listening to the Spirit of God, to to walking with him, that we would invite him in to this house. I can't help but think how close this is to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. See, in Revelation chapter 3, let's go there. This is Jesus saying this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me.
Friends, during this time, Jesus is seeking followers that are listening at the door of their heart. Though we're inside, behind a door, locked away in our houses at this time, He is speaking. He is looking for followers that are listening at the door of their heart for the subtle knock, for His voice, and that are ready, awake, and waiting, opening the door, inviting the Master in to, to dine with them. It says that He is ready and at the door. He wants to come in and dine with you. God is interested in intimacy. He wants to be intimately known. He wants to know you intimately. I would encourage you to invite Jesus in to even the places of your heart and your life that you're most scared for the presence of God to see. The truth is, He already sees. He already sees all of our hearts. He sees all of our sin. He sees all of our shame because of it. He sees all of our doubt, all of our discouragement. He sees all of our sadness, all our, de all our depression. And what he desperately wants, he wants us to invite him in to that place. What he promises when he comes into that place, that place will not be the same because he has come in. Be persistent at the door of your heart in prayer that the master would come in. His presence, his glory would flood your heart wherever you need him most. Know that he's already paid for with his body being broken. The payment and penalty that your sins deserve, that my sins deserved. He's already taken that upon himself. And what he wants is to come in and for you to experience the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God. In the middle of that place right now. Will you invite him in? The second thing that I notice in this passage, it's no accident that the disciples invite him in and they have a meal. Now, there's a lot of things that we can draw from this. The first being the most simple um, face value of the text. Jesus was hungry. <laughs> he was hungry. And he went in. And he, he broke bread and gave thanks. This is showing that he's not a spirit. He's not an apparition. They didn't imagine this. Jesus was a flesh and blood person, a resurrected body. It's important for us to know that. It's also very reminiscent of the Last Supper, that he went in, he broke bread and gave thanks. And that was a decisive moment and a picture. It was at the breaking 
of the bread that their hearts and their eyes understood who he was. In some translations, it says that at that point, they knew him. Jesus, in the book of John, when he fed the multitude, he broke the bread and gave thanks. Prior to that, he said to the people, I am the bread of life. It's also significant at the Last Supper that Jesus broke the bread and gave it to his disciples. They experienced a communion with him that, that came from Jesus breaking the bread. He, at that time, said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Jesus is the broken bread that enables us to both know the Father and the presence of God and be known by the presence of God. There's a passage of scripture where it talks about uh, when the gospel is read that a veil remains over people's hearts and they don't see Jesus for who he is. It talks about it specifically of Israel and that when somebody does see Jesus, that that veil is lifted. Here, their doubt was lifted. Their despair was lifted. Their sadness was lifted when Jesus broke the bread. Friends, the good news for us today is that Jesus is the broken bread that lifts the veil from us. It lifts our doubt. It lifts, he lifts our discouragement. He lifts our despair by himself being broken on our behalf. He's experienced the brokenness that you're feeling in the middle of this pandemic. It says in the scriptures that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Just like on the road to Emmaus, the disciples who encountered Jesus began very far from God in a moment of darkness and Jesus patiently entered into their conversation, showed, him, showed them in the scriptures the purpose of his coming, and then went into their homes and demonstrated that he was the one that they had been talking about. He was the broken bread. He met them on the road and walked them from where they were to the reality of who he is and where he is. And at that moment, he vanished. What I want you to see here, at first, I asked the question, why does he vanish? Wouldn't they want to then, in that moment, relish in his presence, spend longer time, like, I didn't know it was you. How could I have been so foolish? And I asked the question in my journal, like, why did he vanish? I don't understand that, you know? Why is it that there are times in our life where we experience the fullness of God's presence, but that time does not remain? Friends, what I want to share with you today is I believe that time does not remain because we are not meant to remain only in that time. That time prepared us for the time that is to come. This encounter with Jesus on the road prepared them for the road ahead. How do we know this? Because scripture says it. We're not reading into scripture. Scripture says it. It says 
that at that moment they had a whole meal prepared. They had just traveled many hours on a journey that was seven miles on a terrain that was kind of rough from the day into the night. Um, they had a meal ready at their house. They invite this stranger and he breaks bread. They see in an instant that this is no stranger. This is Jesus. We have to believe that they had already encountered Jesus personally because they knew the 12. They knew the 11 that were remaining because it says that they left the meal immediately at that very hour they left and went back the seven miles after it was already dark to meet with the 11 that were waiting. They encountered the risen Lord and it changed them so much from a place that they were walking in despair. Jesus broke the bread and they ran back. It doesn't say they ran, but I imagine they do. They, they travel back the seven miles to meet with the 11 to declare to them, he is risen and we have seen him. Simon's account is true. The women at the tomb, their account is true. The tomb is empty because our Savior lives. Family, that news is just as relevant for us today. We have hope because Jesus lives. We have hope because Jesus meets us where we are. We have hope because Jesus is merciful. We have hope because the grace of God meets us in our despair, our sadness, our depression, our anxiety, our sin, and he does not leave us there. He moves us from there to being filled and positioned on our purpose. That is why he vanished, because his purpose for being with them was fulfilled in that moment and we know that's true because they left in joy. Family, the good news for us right now in this hour is that Jesus himself, he longs to come into the place where we are and to reveal himself to us. And that revelation will change us. I would encourage you to remain in the place where you're hearing the Lord, where you're, where you're hospitable to his spirit, where your heart is open to whatever he would say to you. Whatever he says, let your heart remain open to it, hospitable to his spirit. That his presence would meet us in the middle of this road between what life was like before this pandemic and wherever he is leading us. Know that he's leading us ultimately to himself. So if that's the purpose of where he's leading us, that should be true of our lives today. Be encouraged today that God is patient. He longs to walk with you along this road. And he longs for you to invite him in to your house that he may dine with you and you with him. Invite him in today. God bless.